Now, I attended uh, the funeral of Coach Johnny Reagan, who was uh, years and years ago was a basketball player and baseball player at Murray State. And then, of course, became the baseball coach at Murray and coached for decades. I, I didn't play for Coach Reagan. I, I came to Murray State and played for Mike Tiki, who actually had played for and then coached for Johnny Reagan. But Coach Reagan was still around, and he was – the guy that you you always respected and and you knew that coach Reagan was still the driving force really behind uh, the the baseball program and so on and he was such an impressive guy I know many of you might have gotten to know him or knew of him through the years and I remember the last time that I had an interaction with coach Reagan was two or three years ago and and I walked into the press box there at Murray State, the baseball field, and Coach Reagan had a, a little area where he could sit in, in the, the climate-controlled environment and watch a baseball game when he wanted to. And I walked in, and Coach Reagan was there, and I always, as I did, I walked up to him, and I, I always gave him my name. You know, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm Brad Burns, and because and I, I didn't play for him. I didn't want to take for granted that he would, you know, feel obligated to remember who I was. And so I always introduced myself to him. And he would always, well, Brad, I know you, you know. And he said, you graduated in 1999, didn't you? I thought, how in the world do you know these things, you know? He was such an impressive man. And what he did for the baseball program at Murray State was to get it to a level that, that to be a Murray State baseball player would mean something to the guys wearing that uniform. And the guys who played for him would tell these legendary stories of Coach Reagan and his binder, his Bread's Baseball binder, that had in it hundreds of pages of here's how we do things. He would cover everything from how you wear your socks and your belt and your hat to the signs that he would give down in the third base coaching box to what you pack in your travel bag when you go on the road for a game. He covered everything. He wanted them to know that when you are a Murray State thoroughbred baseball player, here's what you're supposed to be doing. Now that you are a baseball player at Murray State, here's the expectation for you. Here's how to live as a result of who you now are. And that binder was the Bible, if you will, for Murray State baseball players. And they still tell stories, these guys that played for him, and they say, you know, you didn't mess up. And he would say, now, have you not read in there where it says, you know? And so he, he had everything covered. He wanted them to know, now that you are a Murray State baseball player, here's what you are to be about. We're going to look at a scripture today that really gives us a a parallel to that just in life. Now that we are children of God, now that we have come to faith in Jesus, if that is you, here's how we are to live. Now before I even get into this, let me just tell you up front that sometimes and quite often people get this backward. We, we get this backward. What we will do is we will say, I must act this way in order to be accepted as a child of God. Now, so let me just clear the air right here. Everything that I'm going to tell you today on how it is that Christians are to live or the, the expectation for all Christians, that is after, after, hear me, after you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ for the receiving of the grace of God through his death on the cross. It is after. The law in the Old Testament was given given after the exodus 
It was given after the people had been established as God's people. So make no mistake this morning. I am not telling you in any way, nor is this in any way a legalistic sermon, that you must do these things in order to please God so that one day, someday, maybe he will let you into heaven. Maybe one day, someday, he will finally be pleased with you because you have done all of these things that I have told you today are in the Bible. You must live this way in order that God will be happy with you. That is called legalism, and that is a dead end. In fact, it is a never end. It never ends trying to live up to what we think God wants for us in order that we might earn his favor. Do you know the truth? Can we ever earn God's favor? The answer, church, is what? No. If you have not been with us, you will hear that over and over and over and over and over again. We cannot earn God's favor. Jesus and Jesus alone earned God's favor by his work. His life made up for ours. His death paid the debt that we owed God for our sin. And his resurrection is the hope for our eternal life. So it is Jesus who does all of that for us, who pleased God on our behalf. But once we are in Christ, God says, now here's what I want for you. So understand, don't get it backward, okay? We, we are not legalists here telling you that you must live this way in order to earn God's favor. We, we want you to understand, now that you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, here's what God wants for us. So that's the idea, okay? So turn with me to 2 Corinthians, uh, our, our book that we're in in this series. 2 Corinthians, over in the New Testament, uh, you probably go... I don't know, here's where I am. Okay, you got this much on the left side, this much on the right side. Page uh, 1555 is where I am today. So if you don't know where anything is in the Bible, just kind of get that much on the left and that much on the right, you're going to be close, right? Go to the table of contents, seriously, look it up. There's only one way to get to know the Bible, and that is to get to know the Bible. So if you've never had much experience with that, don't let it stop you. I hope you brought a Bible. If you didn't, there's one in the pew there in front of you, in the chair in front of you. Grab one, follow along with us today. Love for you to get there. Second Corinthians, look first in chapter 5. We're going to look at a verse that we saw last week about what Paul was telling the Corinthians about who they are in Jesus Christ. So look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And I told you last week, the the original language kind of has an explosive nature to it. If anyone is in Christ, boom, there's a brand new creation. There is a new creation. Old things have passed away and look, new things have come. So what Paul says is if anyone is a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he is my only hope and I have thrown myself at his mercy and given him completely my faith, my belief, turning from my sin, falling on him. If that is you, I have believed in Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, a brand new person. The old is gone. Who you used to be is dead and gone and buried with Jesus Christ, and you have been raised to brand new life. That's what Paul was saying. There is a new creation. And so that is who we are, a new creation in Christ. And you might have said last week, or maybe when you read these kinds of verses, okay, that's great, but what does that really mean? What do I do now? I, 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 maybe I am a believer in Jesus Christ, but nobody's ever told me what to do next. 
And church, just let me tell you, we're bad about that kind of stuff. I don't mean we as Elm Grove. I just mean we as Christians in general. Jesus told us in Matthew 28 to go and what? And make what? Disciples. You know what we do? We go and make sure that people get baptized. Okay, all right, uh, all right, we're good now, right? And parents, listen, I've had folks come to me before and say, you know, I just, I, I just want to make sure that they, that they under, you know, they get baptized and then everything's good, right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah, belief and then obedience, but it's a life of obedience. Guy, we are a new creation. God has called us to a lifetime of obedience, not just one step, although that's an important step to take in following in believers' baptism, but it is a lifetime of obedience. We are not helpful sometimes in showing people how do you live as a new creation? What does that mean? We just tell them, hey, you're brand new in Jesus Christ, and guess what? We send them back out armed with nothing, but you're brand new in Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, yeah, but I'm still living in where I was living before. What do we do as a result of that? How do we live? And that's where this part today that we'll get to, I think, becomes really, really helpful. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So turn the page maybe. Go to verse 14, and that's where we're going to start, and we'll read through the very first verse of chapter 7. Look at it today. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or what agreement does Christ have with Belial? That could be also, that's rendered Satan. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises, we should wash ourselves clean from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, making our sanctification complete in the fear of God. Now, there's some people who have studied this throughout the years and say, well, that's kind of weird because Paul was just talking about some other stuff, what he's been through, and then all of a sudden he changes gears, it seems, and he goes into this talk about not being matched together with unbelievers and coming out and being separate and those kinds of things. What is he saying? Some people would say, well, it doesn't even appear that that goes together with what he was just writing. Some people say, well, maybe Paul didn't even write this. It was just thrown in later on. But what I see in this, and the scholars that I studied this week when I was preparing for this, made the connection back to earlier when Paul says in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, we are on display for Christ. We are an aroma for Christ. And I think Paul is getting more to the heart of here's what that means. Here's what it means to live for the Lord now that you are in Christ. So it seems to fit well with all that, and I really do think it fits well with what I read earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul says, you are a new creation, now what? Here's how we are to live as a result of knowing Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, in the Old Testament, after the people are led from slavery out of Egypt, Moses establishes the nation of Israel, if you will, as a people of God. There they are, all there together. Then, then God says, now that you are my people rescued from slavery, now here's the law, here's how I want you to live as my people. And so I think this is really what Paul is doing. He says, now that we are new creations in Christ, 
how should we live and second corinthians 6 verses 14 through 18 and then chapter 7 verse 1 i think answers a question here's what paul seems to be saying overall in these verses to the corinthians you are different different you 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 are different You, you 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 are so be different that kind of sounds redundant doesn't it but i think sometimes we need that reminder I, I, I need to be reminded from time to time that, that I, am, I am different, not because of anything I've done, but because I am in Christ. And I need to be reminded that as a result of the fact that I am different, I, I'm, I am to be different. I'm going to show you some different ways that that plays out today. You'll see on your outline there, if you got it, there's a couple of columns. We're going to look first at that, the, the, the are different kind of thing and then the be different. Okay, so just kind of get that in your mind. So we're going to look back here at the verses that we're looking at today. You are different. He says in verse 14, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. Why? Why not? Well, because you're different. There, there, there's, there's a difference. And, 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 and then he gives five rhetorical questions. Look at the first part. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Paul says, don't join up with unbelievers in the sense that you're going to hitch yourselves together. He says, you're different. And he says, what what partnership, what agreement, what do you have in common with lawlessness? Paul says, first of all, you're different in your actions. Anybody ever told you to act like a Christian? You say, well, what does that mean? In some cases, it means absolutely nothing, just so you know. Um, I've seen some Christians and how they act, and I no, not that one. Don't act like that one, you know? Not the, anyway, but we are to be different. We are different in our actions. Christians, our actions simply are to be different. We, we no longer practice lawlessness or ignoring what God has said. We practice righteousness. Our actions, by the way, are the evidence of our faith. James would say it. Faith without works is what? It's dead. It's obvious that it has no difference in your life. It makes no difference. When Paul talks about the person being in Christ, it's a radical transformation from the inside out. So our actions will be different. It is evidence of our faith, not only to us, but to other people. Uh, If you've got got your place there in 2 Corinthians, turn over to to Galatians. Just go over one book uh, to the book of Galatians. And I want you to look in chapter 5. Paul wrote more about the idea of what Christian action is to be and is not to be. Look in verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh, or these are the works of lawlessness, are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. All those things, he says, that's, that's what lawlessness looks like. Are we talking about lawlessness according to the laws of our country? No. He's talking about lawlessness according to the law and the righteousness and the holiness of God. And then he goes on, look in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, those who are in Jesus Christ, here's what their lives will look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Do you see the stark difference? It's not hard to pick up, is it? On one hand, we are lawless people that we don't know Jesus and we live however we want. We do whatever comes naturally to us. Well, this is just who I am. It's what I do. For those who are in Christ, guess what? You are no longer your own. You are a new creation. There is a different way to live. What I once did, I no longer do. Why? Because I am in Christ. Does that mean it's easy? No. But I allow Jesus to take over my life in such a way, I give all of that to him each and every day. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with these things. I can't do this stuff. Lord, you take over my life. You are different as a follower of Jesus Christ with a different set of actions. Paul goes on to talk about that there is also a different knowledge. Look in verse 14, back in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Obviously none. And then he says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? In the Bible, uh, light is often a symbol of, of truth and of knowledge and of understanding. God's kind of knowledge and understanding. And darkness is, is a symbol of error and untruth and falsehood and lies. And so what Paul says here is that you have on one side, those who are in Christ have a knowledge and understanding that is true, and those on the other side still stand in darkness. I want you to flip to Ephesians chapter 4. Just go to Galatians and then keep turning just one more book to the book of Ephesians. You want to write down some of these references, a lot of good cross-references. What Paul writes elsewhere, he reinforces in other places. Look in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Look in verse 14. He says, We will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning and with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Therefore, look at this in verse 17, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of what? Their thoughts or their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. And so Paul talks about we now live and understand the truth as opposed to those who have been darkened in their minds. We have a different knowledge. Light and darkness do not go together. He says we understand. We have now gotten it, if you will. Our thoughts, our decisions, our mindset, our knowledge, our understanding is all different because we are in Christ, because we follow him. Then he goes on in verse 15 to talk about a, a different identity that we have. So we have different actions, Paul says. There's righteousness versus lawlessness. We have a different knowledge. There's light versus darkness. And we have a different identity. Look what he says. He says, what agreement does Christ have with Satan? That word agreement there means harmony. How can they harmonize? How can they make music together, basically? How can they sound good at all together? Now, some of you are really great at singing harmony. Maybe you're out there while, while we're all singing, and you're singing the harmony to it. I, I'm just happy to try to follow along as best I can with about every fourth note of the melody. That's where I try to hit it, you know? Some of you are really good at this. And you understand that sometimes people just don't really mesh together well when they're making music. It just doesn't 
work. And Paul says that's the same way. There is no way, he says, that Jesus can make music with Satan. And what he's pointing out is there is no agreement, there is no harmony, true harmony, true lifestyle agreement because between those who are in Christ and those who are not. You have a different identity. You are a new creation in Christ. You are not of this world. And the truth is, and, and hear this, we are one or the other. And, I, and nobody, like, nobody really likes this stuff, okay? Uh, just understand. We like to think, and I have told you this, I think, a million times. We like to think that everybody is just good. They're just good. And we even talk about it. And, and listen, you know, when, when, I, when people ask me, hey, tell me about the people in your church. You know what I tell them? They're good people. They're good people. And, you, and we know what we mean by that, right? They'll do anything for you. I mean, they're just, they're generous, they're loving, they're caring. I mean, they're just, they're, they're considerate. And that's what I mean by that. I mean, that's that's my, what I'm saying. But understand that we have, we, we need to clarify truly what we mean by good people. We're, we're talking about something totally different. At the core, okay, none of us are good. Truly good. I mean good in good standing with the Lord. None of us are born in good standing with the Lord. None of us are born neutral, and we just sort of make a decision at some point. Well, he just went off the rails. You guess what? We started off the rails. Okay? We, that's how we start. At birth, we start off the rails. We are born sinners, born, as bad as it sounds, children of the devil. All right? I know some of you have devil children. I know that. All right? You, I've seen them. I, you know it. All right? You just, where do they come from? Listen, they're born children of the devil. You can just tell them that. Tell them, Pastor just said y'all are devil children, right? You can tell them that. All right? But here's the deal. I'm serious, though. None of us are born children of God. None of us. We have to be rescued out of being children of the devil. We, we are not born just, we are born with an identity that will send us to hell, period, end of story. And so when someone says that they have been saved, do you know what that means? It's not just that they have been forgiven of the sins they have committed. It's not just what we do, but it's who we are that has to be forgiven. God has to forgive us not just of sinning, but of being a sinner, now that changes the game a little bit. Because then it ain't just about, well, I kind of cleaned up my act a little bit. I did a little better. I'm okay now, I guess, right? I'm a good person. It's about who I am, not just about what I do. And so we are one or the other. One or the other, we are either in Christ or we are not. There's no in-between. There is no hope one day, maybe someday, eh, okay, it'll work itself out. Never, never, never. And I've told you that a million times, and I promise you this, you will hear it again. <laughs> you will hear it again. Not because I've got somebody in mind and I'm really trying to work. It's Mark's birthday, so I'm going to get him today. It's not that, all right? It's not that at all. It's simply because I do not want you to live under the impression that being good is something you can do in order to earn God's favor. That's something you can do apart from Jesus Christ. It is him and it is him alone. And so Paul says we have a new identity. Now we're identified with Christ where once before we were identified with Satan. That's the truth. Anyway, he talks about this new identity. Then he goes on to talk about new belief. We are different in our belief. Look at verse 15. He says, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Mm, nothing. And it's a rhetorical question, right? Let me just run through real quick, just real quick, some of the basics of Christian belief. 
just real quick, just so you know, just so there's no misunderstanding. Uh, and, I, and I'll put it in terms, these are not, not going to be uh, completely theological terms, but if you just want to jot some of these things down and kind of, okay, yeah, I can see where you're going. Uh, and, and these things kind of really do build on, on one another. Number one, God is there. <laughs> uh, we believe that God is there. That's foundational to our faith, that God is there. Um, that, you know, that in, in all of that, he's great, he's good. Uh, and because he's there, I'm accountable to him. So God is there. We also believe that the Bible is true. And I don't mean just parts of it. I mean the whole thing. Every bit of it. It's all true. The Bible is true. It, 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 with that, it, it's inspired by God. It's inerrant. It means it, it has no error. It's authoritative. It's reliable. It's useful. All that. So we believe that God is there. We believe the Bible is true. We also believe that Jesus is the only way. The only way. This is what the Bible points to, that he is the Son of God, that he became a man, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. So in this, Jesus being the only way, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is vital to our faith. It's not something that's, ah, no, no, no. It is vital. He was sinless, had no sin nature. So Jesus is the only way because he's the Son of God. He became a man, lived a perfect life. He, he died a substitutionary death. And he was raised from the dead. And it's Jesus plus what? Nothing for salvation, right? Jesus is the only way. The Bible makes that very very, very clear. Cannot read the Bible and assume or come to any other conclusion, but that Jesus claimed to be the only way to God. So we have God is there. The Bible is true. Jesus is the only way. Also, we believe I am a sinner. And, and you say, well, amen. I don't mean me just only. All right. I mean, I like everybody inclusive here. Okay. Brad is a sinner. That's what you're writing down. Yeah. Anyway, but we believe that each of us, I am Sinner. And as I just said, it's who I am and it's what I've done. That's the part of me that's a sinner all the way through. That's how I'm born. We, so God is there. Uh, the Bible is true. Jesus is the only way. I am a sinner. We also believe that everyone spends eternity somewhere. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. We believe this world is not, not all there is. That we also believe that there's, there's no second chance after, after death. It's just you, this is, everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere based upon what you did with Jesus Christ right here, right now. We believe that God is the judge, not me, not anybody else, that everybody spends eternity somewhere. And so God is there. The Bible is true. Jesus is the only way. I am a sinner. Everybody spends eternity somewhere. And we also believe that salvation is for both then and now. Then and now. And don't, don't miss this. It's not, this is not, you know, just a way of putting it. Salvation, yes, is for eternity. That we receive from Jesus Christ, by his grace, through our faith, we receive eternal life. And when you read the Gospel of John, do you know when that eternal life begins? The moment you believe. Right now. We believe that, yes... Eternity is affected by our decision to follow Jesus through faith, but it also affects this life now. Salvation is both a now and not yet thing. So those are just some basics. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff, obviously, that's covered by that big umbrella, but those are some things. So here's what that means. What, what in common does a believer have with an unbeliever? A believer believes those things. 100%. I believe those things. That's what I believe. Do you know what unbelievers believe? Part of it. That plus some other stuff. That minus a couple of things. Unbelievers would say, well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, we're all going to the same place, right? I mean, we all sort of believe the same thing. No, 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 no. Hold on. No, we don't. Love you. We don't believe the same stuff. 
if there is anyone, and I'm not talking about different Christian denominations, although that would be included, but if there's anyone who would say that it is Jesus plus something else, guess what? they got to read this again. Don't come talk to me. Read this again. If we are doing anything, believing anything, that is outside what clearly the Bible says, then we've got some issues to clear up. So pluralism, the idea that, well, you can get to God in kind of any way, really. Just be sincere. Just really believe it. The idea of universalism, well, you know, I mean, we just let God sort it all out, right? I mean, everybody's, you know, only the really bad people, you know, really bad. I mean, you know, the evil, evil, evil people, only those will be punished. Pluralism is out. Universalism is out. Moralism, by the way, is out. Just be good enough. Legalism is out. Just be like us. <laughs> that's, that's legalism. For us, the whole of our faith is Jesus plus nothing in life, in death, and eternity. So that's what we believe. All right, so we have a different set of beliefs. You good with that? I beat that horse. Are we good? Okay. All right. <clears throat> then verse 16, he talks about we have different worship. He says, what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? In other words... How do God's people give approval to things in the world and the gods that sinful people worship? You are different, he says, in what you worship. Now, I'll just tell you this. This is not about a building or a particular style of music. We, we love to argue about stuff like that. We think that we must meet in this kind of place or that kind of place. Or they must have this instrument, but not that one. And then, well, we got to have that one. I mean, obviously that makes sense today. Some of you struggle because Clint's gone and we didn't have a drum today. And you, oh, I kind of like that, man. It just really helps me, you know. Okay, you know, that's fine. Uh, some of you, maybe, maybe you've been in big, big, big churches. I grew up in a church that later worked there. It was 2,500 people on a weekend. It was massive. It's at least 10 times the size of what we got here. Some of you would say, no, 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 those people, yeah, there's no way they're worshiping God. I mean, there's just too many of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what they would say about you? There's just not enough of you, right? We're not talking about that kind of stuff, okay? We're not talking about preferred styles of worship or locations of worship, okay? We, obviously, we, and, and, and the cliche is, but, but listen, we need to understand this. We do not have to meet in this location in order for us to worship. But it's okay if we do. You get what I'm saying? It's okay. It's just a preference, really. Just, this is where we meet. So we're not talking about that. What we are talking about is the things that we approve in our lives that we give ourselves to. He says, what does God's sanctuary have in common with idols? And then you know what he says? He says, you, or he says, we rather, are the sanctuary of the living God. Wait a minute. We're sitting in the sanctuary, right? We call this our sanctuary. You know what Paul says over and over? We are God's sanctuary. We are the temple of the living God. And so he says, what do we, the temple, the sanctuary, what do we have in common with the things that this world worships? The things that this world goes after, the things that this world gives approval to, that this world tries to accomplish in life. In how we go about our business and what we view that will make us happy and the objects of our affection and loyalty, Paul says there is a major difference because those are the things we truly worship. You're different in your actions, your knowledge, your identity, your belief, your worship. You're different, so be different. How do you do that? 
I'm, I'm going to give you what Paul does, and sort of it's it's it, it's redundant to some degree. And I'm going to give you these five things that he just kind of gives in very rapid succession. He gives some some Old Testament references and so on. And beginning in verse 14, when he says, "Do not be mismatched," the first thing he is saying overall is separate, separate. He says, don't be mismatched. And, and the older versions will say, don't be unequally yoked. Now, those of you that have not grown up on farms like me, this doesn't immediately, oh yeah, I know what that's talking about, especially an older type farm. And probably most of us now would say, well, that just means you can't be a red farmer and a green farmer at the same time. You got what I'm saying? You can't go Case IH and John Deere all at the same time. You can't do it, right? Because somebody's going to get upset. And that's the way. So you cannot be both John Deere and Case. You can't do it, all right? Well, Paul is saying you can't hitch up one type of animal and another type of animal and expect to get the job done the right way. Because those dudes are going different directions, right? You get what I'm saying? The old-time farming, they'd hitch up two oxen and boom, they'd go together. And there was an Old Testament command that, that forbade hitching up two different kinds of animals, two different species. Paul says you're two different species as a believer and an unbeliever. He says, so don't hitch yourself up to, don't lock yourself into something that's going to drastically affect your life with an unbeliever. That's what he's saying. Now, hold on a second. Didn't Jesus say... And didn't people say about Jesus that he was a friend of sinners? So you're saying I should have no association whatsoever? I just live in a little Christian bubble? No, 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 no. Not at all what I'm saying. But what Paul here indicates is that the things that will most drastically affect our lives, the people we're going to plow the field with, if that makes sense, they have got to be believers in Jesus Christ. Let me first speak to the young people. Young people, and hear this. <clears throat> And, and and maybe even maybe even some other folks who you say, well, I'm I'm not so young, but this kind of makes sense. But I remember hearing this when I was a teenager. This I, I think there, there there is no relationship outside of that you have with Jesus Christ that will affect your life more than a marriage relationship. And so let me encourage you. In fact, let me just show you the scripture. Do not be unequally yoked in any dating, engagement, or, or anything that could lead to marriage with someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't go there. Don't go there. Yeah, but you... No, 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 no. Ain't no yeah, but. Don't give me that. That's what I tell my... Hank knows. Don't give me that garbage. All right? Don't give me that. You ain't getting nowhere. Listen, young people, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious about it. And maybe even if you're just an unmarried person. If, if you allow your emotions to get involved, it is over. I've seen it. It's over. You will justify anything. Well, it's, you know, I, I'm hoping that through this relationship, this person will come to Jesus Christ. Missionary dating, right? Nah, it doesn't work. I'm serious. And listen, there are some people here in this room who will tell you that their lives have drastically been altered because of those kinds of things. Paul would later say, by the way, and I will speak now to the married people, if you are married to a person right now who is not a believer in Jesus Christ... You are not to separate from that person. Paul said if they abandon you because they don't want anything to do with your Lord Jesus Christ, let them go. But he said stay with them because maybe God will use that in order to reach them for Jesus Christ. But on the front side, he says don't even go there if you can help it. Now, to the other folks, not just those who are 
potentially going into a dating relationship, folks, we've got to consider who are we hitching ourselves to in our business partnerships and in our closest friendships and to the things that we will be plowing the field with, if that makes sense. Paul says, separate. Make sure that you are not hitched together with something that's going to drastically alter your life if that person is not a believer in Christ. Why? Because it's two different species. They're going to make competing demands. You're going different directions. That sounds pretty harsh. But I think Paul's pretty wise. I think he knows, man, that's going to be a lot of heartbreak. It's going to cause you a lot of problems. It's not God's best for you. Anyway, he says separate. Then he, then he says move away. He says in verse, uh, look at verse 17, come out from among them and be separate. That, that, the words there, come out from among, means move away from that. Move away from the darkness. Move toward the truth. Get away from what's influencing you toward the things who are not of God. Listen, and again, I, I, sometimes this is, this is just for young people, I guess. But some of you got to have enough courage to say, I'm moving away from those folks. You don't have to tell them. You don't make them mad. That's not the point. But, but we've got, listen, young folks, you, you have influences in your life right now who are leading you down a wrong path. And if that's the case, your parents are not dumb for telling you, you don't need to be around those folks. They're not dumb. They're not trying to, trying to keep you from your buddies and whatever. You don't need to be around them. Why? Because right now, you are not strong enough to stand on your own among those people. Move away. Move away. Move away. Move away. Move away. Get away from those influences, Paul says. Sometimes that's physically. I can't be around those people anymore, especially if you're easily influenced. But it's always mentally and always spiritually. Listen, some of you work with folks, you can't just move away from them, right? They sit right next to you. All right? Well, my pastor says, boss, by the way, here's a letter from my pastor. He says, I no longer have to sit next to that person, right? I'll write that for you and see how it goes, right? (laughs) (laughs) See how that works. But listen, sometimes what it is, it's just mentally, it's just emotionally, it's spiritually. We have to move away from those things. This is not about eliminating toxic people in your life. This is about saying, Lord, make me the person you want me to be. Anyway, he goes on in verse 17. He says, be separate and do not touch anything unclean. He says, let go. Let go of the things you're holding on to that are unclean. What is it that you're holding on to that keeps you from growing with the Lord? Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it a sinful relationship? Is it a group of people whose approval you can't live without? What is it? Maybe it's time to let go, Paul says. Drop those things and move toward the Lord. Then he says in verse 7, or chapter 7 rather, verse 1, he says, We have these promises so we should wash ourselves clean from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. He says it's time to repent. Time to repent. He says, flesh and spirit, inside and out. Turn from those things. Let your mind be changed. Cleanse yourself, whatever it takes to make that happen. Lord, I I drop anything that is not of you. He says, from every impurity, not just the ones people know about or the ones you feel most guilty about, but all of them. Everything that is not of God, repent. Turn from it now. So you might say today, Lord, I, I, I turn from my sin. Whatever sin that may be, Lord, I give it to you. Change me, cleanse me, turn me around. And then he says at the end of verse 1, he says, making our sanctification complete in the fear of God. Paul says to be different, you've got to grow. You've got to grow in the Lord. Sanctification here follows what is called justification in the Bible. Justification means we are declared right by the death of Jesus Christ, declared to be right with God. Sanctification is a cleanup process afterward. Sanctification is a scraping out of all the junk that's been there for however many years and say, okay, now in mind and in body, I will be like Jesus Christ. And everything that I think and everything that I do, Lord, you make me to be like Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this. How is it 
that I can grow closer to the Lord? What is the number one thing that I can do? If you'd say, all right, I I want to be closer to the Lord. I don't know how. Do you know what is the number one indicator of spiritual growth? The number one thing that will help you to grow closer to the Lord. The thing above all other things that you can do. You're saying, well, now that you put it that way, I have no idea. I'll tell you next week. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> seriously, all the studies will tell us, and I mean this, I've, I've, I've read them, all the studies tell us the number one thing that dictates your spiritual growth is Bible engagement. That's it. Getting in your Bible every single day. Well, I'm just not growing with God. When's the last time that you really engaged with the Bible? It's been a while. Well, there you go. There's your correlation. Bible engagement, reading it, studying it, learning it, repeating it to yourself, memorizing it, and then asking God, what do I do with this? How is this supposed to affect my life? Bible engagement. That's it. If you want to grow with God this week, get into the Word of God. I got nothing else for you. Go get into the Word of God. You want to grow with Him. So that's it. So back to being a Murray State baseball player. Those guys would walk in. Coach Reagan would give them this binder. He said, now that you're a Murray State baseball player, here's what you're going to (laughs) do. Imagine being an 18-year-old freshman walking in, and you've been able to do whatever you wanted to do. Why? Because you were the best player on your team in high school. You hit in a three-hole, and you played shortstop, and you just, you know what? Nobody told you anything. You wear your socks however you wanted to. And this old man says, here's the binder. It's going to tell you. You go read it, and then show up the next day dressed accordingly. That ain't easy, is it? I'm going to tell you, this stuff about being different probably hits you like that. Not always easy. Yeah, you're going to face a little kickback from inside of you and probably from outside of you as well. But what it leads to, Paul says in verses 16 and 18, is nearness and closeness with the Lord. He says, I will dwell among them. I'll be their God. They'll be sons and daughters to me. He says, I'll be a father to you. You'll be my people. That's what happens when we distance ourselves from the things of the world and draw close to the Lord. He draws close to us. Separation from the things of the world leads to, and it's required for, nearness and closeness with God. You're you're different. So this week, be different. That doesn't mean beat people over the head. That just means be different. Show them the light of Jesus Christ in such a way that they might see that difference. And then, as Matthew 5.16 says, glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together.